ever remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. All right, welcome everybody. Pastor Eli James here. This is the Restoration Hour, and this is part three of my critique of the article by Rabbi Zimmerman of the website I saw the light ministries.com forward slash sacred names and in that article he goes to great lengths to try to argue against the fact that Yahweh is the Holy One of Israel and in the first two episodes we've talked about how his argument is that that nobody should believe in the name of Yahweh, he does not bring into into consideration at all the fact that the name of Yahweh was deleted from the Masoretic text by the rabbis themselves. Okay, it's the Masoretic rabbis, the ones who redacted the original Hebrew scriptures. They didn't delete the name of Yahweh from the Hebrew scriptures. What they did was. They influenced the translators, including themselves, in their various versions of a t- a translation, influenced the King James Version and other English translations and other language translations to eliminate the name of Yahweh in place of L-O-R-D, which is in fact a Canaanite Baal for Lord, Canaanite word for boy, uh, for Baal, meaning Lord, and sometimes they replace the word God with, uh, name Yahweh with God also. So there's skullduggery here because it's not true, as the rabbis claim, that the name of Yahweh is too holy to be pronounced. It's not at all the case. The law of Scripture says, Thou shalt not take the name of Yahweh in vain, which has nothing similar to being too holy to be pronounced. Now, it may be too holy for Jews to pronounce. I will grant you that. But it's not too holy for us to pronounce, especially if we are righteous Israelites. So that's the perspective we're going to have here. Yeah, hi, Zakabutu. Hi, JT, everybody in the Eurofolk radio chat room. So if you can figure out a way to scroll down into the text and find the word every, I-V-R-I, that's what we're going to pick up. And I'm quoting here what the rabbi, the rabbi of the website that Zimmerman relies on for this argument that the true language of the Bible is Assyrian, not Hebrew. So I'm going to take this argument apart. First of all, that he gets this idea from a rabbi, 
a Kabad Lubavitch rabbi, no doubt. They're, they're the most evil ones of the lot, okay? They're absolute chauvinists and haters of the white race. If you want to talk about hatred, talk Judaism, folks. That's Judaism. The Talmud is hate speech. Judaism is hate speech. But our people don't know it because no one ever informs them of it. The Judeo churches do not inform our people of it because most of them are 501c3 corporations and they are not allowed to teach scripture. They are only allowed to teach approved verses, verses approved by the rabbis. So they are not to teach against homosexuality, against uh, against race mixing, right? They're not allowed to teach against that because the Jews won't allow them to teach that. And they will lose their 501c3 tax-exempt status if they teach anything that's not approved by the IRS. That's the way it works. And, of course, this all was very cra- well crafted by the rabbis of Judaism and the Rothschilds and the big money men, the Oberjuden of the Jewish class to flummox our people into becoming Jews, basically. If you practice Judaism, whether you're a Jew or not, you're effectively a Jew. So that's what our people have become, those of us who go into the Judeo-Christian churches. So here, let me see, let me just read what it says here. Quote, Torah was originally given to Israel, and of course, these Jews are pretending to be Israel, in Ashurit script, Ashurit meaning Assyrian, when they sinned, it was changed to Ivri script, and when they repented, Ashurit script was reintroduced. So, in other words, Zimmerman is taking this Kabad Lubavitcher rabbi as gospel when he says the Torah was originally written in Assyrian, and then when the Israelites sinned, it was changed to Hebrew, and then when they repented, it was changed back to Assyrian. Okay, this is what this is what th- this character is arguing, and I say here, this is rabbinical nonsense, absolute rabbinical nonsense. So let's take a look at some other sources besides Jewish sources to see what this. Assyrian language is really all about. In the Cambridge History of Judaism, quote, the term Assyrian refers to the Aramaic script and may be reminiscent of the fact that it was during the period of Assyrian domination that Aramaic script and language received official status. The use of Assyria grammata by the Greek writers has a similar origin. Okay, so what the Cambridge History of Judaism is telling us is that Assyrian is not Assyrian at all. Assyrian is Aramaic. And I'll, I'll go more into that, proving that the Assyrians, there's no, there's not a, a excuse me, <coughs> I had to cease. There's not an Assyrian letter, let alone word, in the original Hebrew documents. Since the Bible was written to, by, for, and about Israelites, not Jews, no rabbi has anything to say about it. 
So if you believe what this rabbi says, you are simply being deceived. Okay? So there was no Assyrian script. No Bible commentator should ever take a rabbinical pronouncement at face value. There's nobody. In, uh, you can make an internet search. Nobody besides Zimmerman will tell you that uh, the Bible was written in Assyrian script. Okay, so, and he goes on. Well, let's continue. And it says, well, okay, so here he says, the Judahites in Babylon, my comment actually, the Judahites in Babylon were out of necessity forced to adopt Aramaic, but they were not forced to give up Hebrew as Zimmerman contends. They simply picked up Aramaic as a second language because they had to have a social intercourse with the Babylonians. After 70 years of captivity, the common people of Judah forgot Hebrew, but the Judahite leadership, such as Ezra and Nehemiah, were still fluent in Hebrew. So what Zimmerman is arguing is it wasn't Hebrew at all. It was either Aramaic or, or Assyrian. But he conflates Assyrian and Aramaic. They're, the two are unrelated. We'll find out exactly how Aramaic came to be spoken by the Assyrians, not vice versa. So here's an, another account of the situation from they were, were why were the Jews exiled to Babylon? And we know the Jews are actually Judahites, not Jews. The Jews, sick Judahites, set, were sent into exile, remained as a single group, which helped them preserve their cultural identity by living in their community in Babylon until finally being allowed to return home in 538 to 539 B.C. At the time when the Persians overthrew the Chaldeans, the exile period had a profound and long-lasting effect on the Judahites' development outside their homeland. Ancient sources confirm that some of the Judahite population adopted the Chaldean religion by giving names to their offspring after Chaldean deities. Okay, Now, there's a difference between the Chaldean religion and and the religion of the Aramaeans. Uh, these Chaldeans were actually more of a priesthood. The Chaldeans of ancient days were not a country. They were not a nation. They were, as a reference to their priesthood, they, many of them were actually wandering priests, like Baal in the book of uh, it's, uh, either uh, Exodus or Numbers. I forget which, which one it is. But they say here, final sentence here, generally, however, the community remained united in its common faith in Yahweh. The name that this guy Zimmerman says should be pronounced Jesus. And we'll get into that confabulation of the Tetragrammaton, yod heh vav how he confabulates that into J. E-S-U-S. I mean, he, he forces these letters to jump through hoops, literally, and uh, to twist around the, the, the tree of life to, to form the letter S, okay, which is not, not existent in the Tetragrammaton. Okay, so these facts just quoted totally destroy Zimmerman's above assertion that, quote, the Israelites were forced to learn, speak, and write the Assyrian language, and Assyrian script, 
which both the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire used. Well, that's not true. The Babylonians did not use Assyrian script. Assyrian script was primarily cuneiform. It was not used by anybody but the Assyrians, and it's certainly not used by the Aramaeans. The Assyrians adopted Aramaic because that's what the nations around them were using. And so in order to communicate with the nations around them, they adopted Aramaic, not vice versa. Okay? And then he claims that uh, this Daniel 1.4, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Well, these Chaldeans were the very same priests that Daniel overthrew because they were not able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, which just shows you they were false prophets. So, but he doesn't tell you that. Zimmerman doesn't get into that. Okay. Now here from the this Wikipedia article, it is evident that Chaldean is another form of Aramaic, not Assyrian. Quote, unlike the East Semitic Akkadian-speaking Akkadians, Assyrians and Babylonians, whose ancestors had been established in Mesopotamia since at least the 30th century BC, that is 3000 BC, the Chaldeans were not a native Mesopotamian people but were late 10th or early 9th century B.C. West Semitic Levantine migrants to the southeastern corner of the region, where Ur is, who had played no part in the previous 3,000 years or so of Sumerio-Akkadian and Assyrio-Babylonian Mesopotamian civilization and history. So these Chaldeans were latecomers, and they they probably spoke Aramaic. They would have learned it from Western uh, uh, Mesopotamia. Continuing, the ancient Chaldeans seem to have migrated into Mesopotamia sometime between 940 and 860 BC, and they certainly would have known Aramaic at that by that point in time. A century or so after other new Semitic arrivals, the Aramaeans and the Sutians appeared in Babylonia circa 1100 BC. According to Ran Zadok, they first appeared in written record in cylinder inscriptions of the king of Mari, Asher Keta Lesir II, late 12th, early 11th century BC. So the idea that the Hebrew scriptures, which were written far earlier than any of this time period, 2,000 years earlier than this time period, it's absolutely absurd and Jewish to say that the scriptures were written first in Assyrian and not in Hebrew, folks. This is absolutely unscholarly falsehood promoted by this Jew named Zimmerman who takes the Hasidic rabbis seriously, okay? Now, these people, these Chaldeans, later appear in the annals of the Assyrian king Shalmaneser III during the 850s B.C., This was a period of weakness in Babylonia, and ineffective native kings were unable to prevent new waves of semi-nomadic foreign peoples from invading and settling in the land. But none of this has anything to do 
with the fact that our ancestors, the Israelites and the Abrahamites, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and going all the way back to Noah, Shem, Eber, etc., they all spoke Hebrew. Hebrew existed long before any of this. Long before any of this. Okay. So my conclusion here is, so AZ, that Zimmerman's idea that either ancient or modern Hebrew script is of Assyrian origin is nothing but a Jewish fable. Didn't Paul warn us about Jewish fables? Yes, the Judahites, not Jews, who were subject to the Babylonian captivity, must have had to learn Aramaic. It was the Aramaic language that was brought back to Jerusalem by these Judahites. But Ezra and Nehemiah still knew Hebrew fluently. This is confirmed by the Aramaic Targums, which are translations of the Paleo-Hebrew script into Aramaic for the benefit of the restored Israelites of Judah, who no longer understood Hebrew or didn't understand it well. And I'm sure any of you people who know about, for example, English and the Southern Drawl, or American English and the Southern Drawl, or British English and Cockney, and High German versus Low German, etc., etc., you can see that these are dialects of one of the other. And in many cases, it's hard to say which dialect came first. But I've been told, uh, I was brought up uh, speaking Low German, which is also known as Danube Swabian. And there are sentences, if spoken quickly by a Swabian, cannot be understood by a university-trained German who speaks High German. Because the pronouns are different, some of the nouns are different, the grammar is different, and the pronunciation of certain words is different. So there, there can be such a radical change in pronunciation that, for example, one time when I was in Tennessee, I was confronted with a local speaker who I could not understand what he was saying. I literally, except for the word uh, carburetor, <laughs> he was working on somebody's car. And the only word that I could understand that he spoke was carburetor. I couldn't understand anything else he was saying. All right, that's how different his English was from mine. Okay. So let's continue. The Sephardic rabbis of Babylon, who were not Judahites but religious tricksters, who went into Neo-Assyria, where they subsequently set up their Talmudic yeshivas. So Zimmerman is giving us 100% Jewish nonsense and claiming that it's Hebrew. That's what's going on here, folks. And he's taking advantage of people who don't know our history because there are a lot of people in identity who have been hoodwinked by this article and by similar articles and videos that have gone online. Now, this is obviously Jewish doing to try to get our people not to pronounce the name of our Creator God. And his name is Yahweh, and his son's name is Yahshua, not Jesus. I'm just going through the historical progression of our language. Nobody in Old Testament times ever spoke the name 
Jesus. They spoke Yahweh, and they spoke Yahshua. Now we have, in the modern world today, we have Judeo-Christians who say, the only name by which you are saved is Jesus. Or some of them pronounce it Jesus. But the letter J did not come into our language until the 1700s, the middle 1700s. And as I have demonstrated elsewhere and in this document as well, none of the languages of the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, and Caucasian Israelites contained the letter J until the English picked it up and actually developed, as the English-speaking world developed the letter J because the Dutch printers used the letter J to differentiate it from the letter I. Okay, that's what was going on here. So let's continue here. Following the Babylonian, this is from Wikipedia, following the Babylonian exile, the Judahites gradually stopped using the Paleo-Hebrew script and instead adopted a square form of the Aramaic alphabet. A similar square Aramaic script is still used for contemporary Western dialects of Aramaic, Western Neo-Aramaic. Now, all this is saying here is that what really happened, the Aramaic script was adopted by the house of Judah after the Babylonian captivity. Then it was picked up by the rabbis, the Herodian Pharisaic rabbis who put all of this jargon into the Masoretic text, which is a false version of the Hebrew scriptures, terribly doctored by the Jewish Masoretes. And here again, Zimmerman says, well, this modern Hebrew is real Hebrew. Really? A redacted version of the original Hebrew is real Hebrew? I don't think so. Now, here's what I say. The Samaritan alphabet, on the other hand, remains a direct descendant of the Paleo-Hebrew script. How so? Who are the Samaritans? Well, they were Israelites. The Samaria was, the fact, the territory. It's just another name for the territory of the ten northern tribes. Samaria. They were Israelites. They spoke Hebrew, not Assyrian, not Aramaic either. Why? Because they were taken captive before the Babylonian captivity. They never adopted Aramaic. Now, this statement here uh, is a very interesting factoid, namely the Samaritan alphabet remains a direct descendant of the Paleo-Hebrew script. This is true even today. This is a very interesting factoid as it provides proof that the modern Samaritans, who were partially descended from the ten northern tribes, rejected Judaism. They rejected Talmud, as they still do today. Which means they don't accept Judaism. They don't accept the Jewish version of the scriptures. They don't accept the block Hebrew of the rabbis, which they simply adapted Aramaic to their block Hebrew, which is nothing but Yiddish. <laughs> it's Yiddish Hebrew is what that is, okay? So, the Wikipedia article continues here. The Aramaic alphabet was later adapted by the rabbis in order to write down the languages of the Jewish, Jewish diaspora. 
and was retained all the while in relatively unadapted forms throughout the diaspora for Hebrew, which remained the language of Jewish law, that is their version of Hebrew, which is not the same as biblical or mosaic. The Hebrew alphabet was also retained as the alphabet used for writing down the Hebrew language during its rebirth as an everyday language, modern language, starting in the 18th or 19th century. Well, they, but they adopted, they added the vowel points because everybody knows that the original Hebrew had no vowels, at least not in the written version, the written form. Obviously, when they spoke it, they had to use vowels to speak words, but they didn't write the vowels down because you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages that had to be written down, so they had to have the, you know, shorthand. Let's call it shorthand. It was consonants only shorthand, just to save time and and uh, papyrus was expensive in those days. Okay. Apostle Zimmerman has uncritically accepted a Lubavitcher opinion, which is only one opinion among many Jewish and Christian opinions. AZ is using a Talmudic source and considers it to be authoritative, and we're supposed to believe him. Right? So if you don't know anything about Hebrew, Aramaic, and contemporary languages of this time, what this Jew Zimmerman is saying may sound convincing, but it's nothing but fabrication, folks. Nothing but fabrication. He has not proven a single fact yet in his essay. Okay, so he says, Did you read the above scriptures in your personal paperback hardback Bible today or just only on this website? What scriptures? The only scripture he's quoted is Daniel 1.4. That's the only scripture he's quoted so far. Everything else is Jewish. So AZ is referring to these rabbinical pronouncements as scripture. Can you believe it, folks? All right. And certainly Daniel 1.4 does not support his contentions about either the Assyrian origin of Hebrew or the Judahites being forced to abandon Hebrew. Let's continue. So again, he encourages us to read the Bible and open our minds and listen to him. No, he's a Jew. (laughs) But we're going through this to show how he deceives us. Okay, so he continues. It is also documented, well-known fact, that Daniel wrote Daniel 1.1 until Daniel 2.4, in Paleo-Hebrew. That's correct. I'm surprised he didn't say Assyrian. But next he goes on to say, but when he got to 2.4, he started writing in Assyrian, Babylonian, Aramaic. No. There's no such thing as Assyrian, Babylonian, Aramaic. There is only Aramaic, which comes from our ancestor, Aram. He keeps on asserting this Assyrian stuff to convince you that the the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, was written in Assyrian, not Hebrew. That's what his point is. And unfortunately, people actually believe this nonsense. Anyway, and I say, Comet, this is not true. It is Aramaic only. Zimmerman is still following purely rabbinical opinion. Here is how the Encyclopedia Britannica differentiates Aramaic 
Hebrew, and Assyrian. Quote, Aramaic is thought to have first appeared among the Aramaeans about the late 11th century B.C. It's probably earlier than that because Aramaic is a, a dialect of Hebrew. Aram and being a grandson of Eber. The Encyclopedia Britannica differs Aramaic, Hebrew, and Assyrian. So it's quite possible that Aramaic split off from Hebrew very early on, very much earlier than this article suggests. This was right after the flood, folks, only a couple of generations after the flood. So let's continue. By the 8th century BC, it had become accepted by the Assyrians as a second language. Okay, so only by the 8th century BC, much later than the days of Abraham, 2,000 years, I'm sorry, no, it would be like, uh, let's see, 1,000 BC, 1,500 BC, no, yeah, just about 1,200, 1,200 years earlier. Abraham was 1,200 years earlier than the 8th century B.C. What language did he speak? Assyrian? I don't think so, folks. He spoke Hebrew. And by the 8th century B.C., it had become accepted by the Assyrians as a second language. There is not a word in the Bible that was written in the Assyrian language, contrary to what Zimmerman asserts. The mass deportations of people by the Assyrians and the use of Aramaic as a lingua franca by Babylonian merchants served to spread the language so that in the 7th and 6th centuries BC, it gradually supplanted Akkadian as the lingua franca of the Middle East. It subsequently became the official language of the Achaemenid Persian dynasty though after the conquest of Alexander the Great, Greek displaced it as the official language throughout the former Persian Empire. Aramaic dialects survived into Roman times, however, particularly in Palestine and Syria. Syrian is actually Aramaic. Aramaic had replaced Hebrew as the language of the Judahites as early as the 6th century BC. Certain portions of the Bible, the books of Daniel and Ezra, are written in Aramaic, as are the Babylonian and Jerusalem Talmuds. Okay, so Zimmerman's contention that Hebrew is not the original language of the Bible is just pure Jewish hogwash, or as I like to call it, bovine excrement. So my comment here is from all of the above. The original language of Assyria was Akkadian. The fact that Daniel wrote partly in Hebrew and partly in Aramaic is not problematic because Zimmerman's false premise, namely that Hebrew and Aramaic are dialects of Assyrian, is totally false. From the time of Babylonian captivity, both Hebrew and Aramaic, two languages which are dialectically similar, were used interchangeably by the house of Judah by those who were fluent in both. Nothing Assyrian about this at all, either in language or culture, because the Assyrians had absolutely nothing to do with the writing of the Bible. You can take that to your Jew bank, and that'll earn interest for you. All right, so 
my comment here is, this is Lubavitcher nonsense, as explained in the many commentaries cited above. The fact is that the first Assyrian language Bible wasn't even published until 1852, okay? You see how far off Zimmerman is? Okay, so I don't think I go need to go into this any anymore, although uh, this comment down here about the, the Masoretic text is important, okay? So Zimmerman is confusing the Babylonian Talmudic Jewish story with the actual history of the House of Judah. The Jewish version of anything biblical is always false, folks. It's always false. It's always a lie. Again, Zimmerman does not demonstrate any knowledge of the, this most important fact that the so-called Jewish scriptures are not the Bible. The Jewish scriptures, the scriptures are distortions of the Bible. And the Masoretic text is one of those distortions where they took Aramaic script made it more block, made it even more square, added their vowel points, and that is modern Hebrew, which was not even developed until 1000 A.D., folks. Not until 1000 A.D. So if you don't know history, a Jew like this can convince you with a bunch of very subtle lies. And the fact is, most of the modern Judeo churches don't know any history of the Bible. They simply ignore biblical history and teach their modern dogma, just as the Jews do. Okay? They only call it Hebrew. Well, here, here's Zimmerman saying, they only call it Hebrew because it became the language of the Hebrew people when they were in Babylon. No, it was their language before it even went to Babylon. <laughs> They spoke Hebrew before they were taken to Babylon. Every every scholar of the Bible knows this, except these Jews who are lying about Assyrian. So why this rabbi made this assertion about Assyrian is unclear to me, but the Jews are used to lying. They're used to telling fables. And Jewish fables become truth in the ears of the unlearned. That's the reality, okay? But here, it's obvious also that Zimmerman doesn't understand that the Jewish people are not Israelites. <laughs> he takes the Israeli state seriously as the, the reconstitution of Israel in Palestine. This is horrible. How can anybody listen to this person who gets so much wrong that as up to this point, he has got nothing right? So far, it's all lies and distortion. Okay? So, at this point, my comment is, this is all nonsense when he says the Y names didn't were not part of the Hebrew language. This is nonsense. It is not the Yahweh who confused modern Hebrew with Paleo-Hebrew. It is Zimmerman who is confused. AZ is very confused. We know the difference between Jewish block Hebrew and Paleo-Hebrew. Zimmerman's version of this history is totally lacking in scholarship. It is childish and silly. Now, he also talks about the Dead Sea Scrolls, and he, this is correct. He says the Dead Sea Scrolls you know, actually were written in Hebrew, right, because they were written later. But he says he thinks they were written in Babylonian Assyrian. Well, you can see the difference in the script. The uh, This 
document of the, uh, what do you call it, the Dead Sea Scrolls, is Aramaic. You can see traces of block Hebrew, which the Jews created out of Aramaic in much greater length of time. Okay, and this is the source, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the earliest surviving copies of the Hebrew Bible, paleoholic.com. Okay, now some of the Dead Sea Scrolls are written in Aramaic, but most of them are written in actually Paleo-Hebrew. So, and this writing lacks the Masoretic vowel points. This this document, unfortunately, it's not in the document that's uh, posted on Eurofolk Radio because the uh, images didn't reproduce. So when I publish this at Anglo-Saxon Israel, then you'll be able to see these images. Very important to see the difference between Aramaic, late Aramaic, and block Hebrew. It, it, you know, all letter carvings change over time. Typically, for, for example, the ver- earliest Paleo-Hebrew would gradually change from, you know, the letter A was originally uh, supposed to symbolize a an ox. So the point of the ox's head was down, and then the strike going through the A symbolized the horns of the ox. So it was actually an upside-down A. This A was turned in a, a, what we, could, we would call a right-side-up A. Okay, but it was also always pronounced Aleph. It was always pronounced Aleph. So that's where we get Aleph, Aleph, Beth, Alphabet. That, we get that from Hebrew, not Assyrian, folks. We get that from Hebrew. Okay. So now he says, uh, he's still claiming that th- this language is actually Assyrian and the Hebrew was developed later on after or during the Babylonian captivity. And he says, this is documented fact and well known in Israel. Oh, okay. So, if it's well known in the Jewish state, that that tells me that it's a lie, <laughs> right? Because there's nothing the Jews say that is truthful. They're, they are the followers of their father Cain, he was a liar from the beginning, and the Jews are likewise. But too many Christians don't know this. They don't know that the Jews are liars. They believe that they're God's chosen, and therefore hinge or hang on every word that a rabbi speaks. And Zimmerman is one of them. That's all there is to it. He's just one of them. Okay. And so... But these Edomites, and I just make the point here, that these Edomites are not Israelites, and and these same Edomites are in control of the Israeli state today. Now here, going back to the Masoretic text, which is a redaction of the Hebrew Bible, taking the original Paleo-Hebrew, which, by the way, was still in the in Jerusalem in the days of the house of Judah after the return from Babylon but in the days of Herod those Hebrew scriptures disappeared they were obviously taken by the Pharisees 
who became known as the Masoretes. They took the Hebrew scriptures so that they could distort them to argue against Moses, to argue against Yahshua, etc. That's they, they became the property of these rabbis, these Pharisaic rabbis. So here is what Father Joseph Gleason has to say about the Masoretic text. I used to believe the Masoretic text was a perfect copy of the original Old Testament. I used to believe that the Masoretic text was how God divinely preserved the Hebrew scriptures throughout the ages. And this is why so many Judeo-churchians will tell you that the Jews preserved the oracles of God. No, they didn't. They distorted the oracles of God. You just don't get it. Jews are not Israelites. And he says, I was wrong. The oldest copies of the Masoretic text only date back to the 10th century, nearly 1,000 years after the time of Christ. Praise Yahweh for truth spoken plainly. This guy actually knows history. Linguistic history. And these texts differ from the originals in many specific ways. The Masoretic text is named after the Masoretes who were scribes and Torah scholars. No, not Torah. Talmud scholars who worked in the Middle East between the 7th and 11th centuries. Note carefully what he says next. The text they received and the edits they provided ensured that modern Jewish texts would manifest a notable departure from the original Hebrew scriptures. Let me repeat that last phrase. That the modern Jewish text would manifest a notable departure from the original Hebrew scriptures. This is where you get your doctored Aramaic, folks. This is where you get it, from the Masoretes, not from the Israelites or the Hebrews, as this false apostle Zimmerman is trying to argue. Okay, so my comment here, since Zimmerman falsely identifies the Masoretic text as a faithful representation of the original Hebrew, he can only misinform his readers on a subject of great importance. There, because so many people believe that the Jews are the Hebrews and the Hebrew scriptures were entrusted to them. No, you've believed about a dozen lies if you think that. There is a world of difference between rabbinic Judaism and the Bible. I cannot stress this idea strongly enough. The Masoretic text is the child of the Babylonian Talmud. The Targums are faithful translations by Judahites of the original Hebrew into Aramaic. Okay? So then uh, Zimmerman goes on about Chaldean, that some of these words in strong accordance are Chaldean. Well, that doesn't matter because the Chaldeans adopted Aramaic, so you would expect a lot of similarity. And it's quite possible because Abraham lived in the country called Chaldea. And since they adopted Aramaic and the Chaldeans proper were Aramaeans that traveled from the west to the east, 
that Chaldean and Aramaic are more alike than anything you would call Assyrian. Okay? So this all of this Assyrian business is nothing but Jewish nonsense. Okay, now, and here, let's see, we have about 15 minutes left. My comment is this. Again, this is a very poor analysis of the situation. First of all, Zimmerman is assuming that the Targums are Babylonian literature. They are not. They are Judahite literature. If you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah carefully, you will notice that these two leaders expunged all Babylonian influence from the record and returned to the pure Torah, not Talmud, reinstituting the feast days, the Sabbath, laws against miscegenation, etc. Indeed, this is why the Targums were introduced, so that these Aramaic-speaking Israelites would understand the Torah. Furthermore, the mere fact that the Hebrews borrowed some terms from the Chaldeans does not make Hebrew a Chaldean language. Finally, the claim that the Judahites were forced against their will to write Aramaic is also false. In fact, there's no evidence that they even wrote Aramaic. They probably just learned the spoken language. But the fact is, Ezra and Nehemiah retained, and all the priests and leaders of the Judahites retained Hebrew. They all retained Hebrew. Paul even spoke Hebrew. So it wasn't a dead language. There were many people, Israelites and Judahites, who spoke Hebrew even into New Testament times. Okay? So this was part of Yahweh's plan to restore Judah after the 70 years of captivity. He spoke very plainly through the prophets that I'm taking you to Babylon for your own good. I need to chastise you for 70 years. And after these 70 years, I will bring you back. And that's what he did. And a golden age of the house of Judah ensued. Now, I think I'm definitely going to go into this important subject. He provides us with a chart. And this chart is secular nonsense. It lists Proto-Canaanite, Ugaritic, Phoenician as the alphabet family tree. Okay? And then from there came Aramaic, supposedly, then Syriac, and then Hebrew. So, according to this chart, which is a secular chart, you can't get this from the Bible, folks. Not at all. Proto-Canaanite came first, Ugaritic came after that, Phoenician came after that, Aramaic came after that, and then finally Hebrew, according to this chart. Well, this chart was created by pagan, (laughs) that is secular atheists and agnostics, who hate the Bible. There is no way that Proto-Canaanite preceded Hebrew, okay? There's absolutely no way that this happened. So, the flood occurred around 2345 B.C. The three brothers, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, spoke the same language, which was Hebrew, not Proto-Canaanite. The Bible records tell us that Japheth went north, Shem stayed in Mesopotamia, and Ham went to Egypt, Mitzrayim. During this time, the descendants of these three brothers were able to communicate with one another. 
Hamites, uh, you, you think if you were born into the same family and the three of you couldn't speak the same language? <laughs> of course you did. The Hamites spoke a language that used to be categorized as Hamito-Semitic, showing the relationship between Hamitic and Shemitic. But that designation has been changed by these devious academics to Afro-Semitic. There is a hidden agenda here. The vast majority of secular academics are evolutionists. They cannot allow the Bible to refute their belief system. Hence, they will fight like the devil to prevent people from believing that the biblical record is true. So they made up this false chart of which languages came first and which languages came later. All right, so... Let me just go through this because you you need to know how Hebrew was transmitted from Ham, Shem, and Japheth to the Israelites. Okay? Moses and Joseph had no problems communicating with the Egyptians. This is because their languages had to be either identical or very similar in order to communicate as easily as they did. I hope this makes sense to all of the skeptics who follow the anti-biblical scholars of secular academia. Since Canaan was the son of Ham, Canaan spoke Proto-Hebrew, not Proto-Canaanite. Canaan begat the various Canaanite tribes who became the worst enemies of the Israelites. Nevertheless, the Canaanites and the Israelites were able to communicate very easily. Why? Because they spoke, they both spoke Hebrew not proto-Canaanite. The above chart is nothing but a perfect example of how secular linguists and historians try to negate the Bible with their false theoretical nonsense. When Abraham Abraham arrived in Canaan land, he did not speak proto-Canaanite. He spoke Chaldean Hebrew. The reason he was able to converse with Canaanites and Egyptians is because they all spoke Hebrew. The table above used by AZ, is anti-historical nonsense. It was invented by academics who do not deserve to be called linguists. They just make stuff up and like doing so. That's really... uh, Okay, now. Now, regarding the term Phoenician. Where did the term Phoenician... And, of course, the same... Oh, okay... Yeah, I hope you are not all lost. Uh, you may have to search the document right now. Let me go to where I'm at, and the document provide the link provided. Uh, you could probably go to Tyre if you go search for the word Tyre, which is on page 24. That's where I'm at. Okay, because there's no pagination on the internet copy right now. So the Bible very clearly tells us that after the Israelites conquered the territory of the Canaanites, several tribes such as Dan and Asher took over the area and the city of Tyre, T-Y-R-E. Under David and Solomon, Hiram, king of Tyre, was an ally of both Israelite kings. However, after the split between Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the ten northern tribes became idolatrous pagans, and adopted the religion of the Canaanites. Okay? They spoke the same language. This split occurred circa 900 BC. It was not until after this event that any talk 
of Phoenicians and their language is possible because Phoenicia was an offshoot of Tyre. So there's no way that the Phoenician people and the language falsely called Phoenician could have existed prior to the Hebrews, folks. No possible way. That is secular garbage. Yet the textbooks are full of this garbage because these people don't want to believe the Bible. Okay, I'm going to quote now Douglas Petrovich, biblical linguist and archaeologist, and he has this to say about this topic. And this guy knows what he's talking about because he's done the archaeological work and he's discovered the inscriptions that are in Paleo-Hebrew, folks. Paleo-Hebrew. So Mr. Petrovich has this to say. In part one of the series, it was shown that most academic outlets have long portrayed Phoenician as the world's first alphabet, which developed after the time of the Exodus and became the basis of all modern alphabets. That's their argument. This thinking has been propagated despite the fact that there has been clear evidence that the oldest examples of the alphabet don't come from Phoenicia and predate the existence of Phoenician culture, as I just explained from the Bible. Readers in the field would be careful not to ascribe the name Phoenician to the first alphabet. But that message has not been getting out to the myriad of classroom and media outlets that continue to teach that lie. This issue is critical for understanding the roots of the Bible, since the sophistication of the biblical narrative required an alphabet to be in place for it to be written. Not so, you think? You think they had to have pen and paper, (laughs) stylus, and papyrus to write this stuff down? It's just more proof that the lies told about the Bible by both secularists and Jews cannot be regarded as truthful. So, he says, if the alphabet was first developed by Phoenicians in 1050 B.C. or even around 1200 B.C., that would mean Moses could not have been the author of writings that ended up becoming the first books of the Bible, as tradition and the Bible itself claim. However, if the alphabet developed centuries earlier, which it did, in the very area where the Israelites are said to have been active in the years before and during the Exodus, then this would fit nicely with the claims of the Bible. A lot of these secularists say Moses did not exist, Jesus did not exist, the Israelite tribe did not exist. It's all fiction, according to them. And there are people who actually believe this nonsense. One more paragraph here. Many experts in the area of ancient languages have recognized that the earliest alphabetic scripts developed from Egyptian hieroglyphs and were in a Semitic, not Assyrian, language, the broad cultural group that the Israelites were a part of. But few have entertained the idea that this language may have been the more specific category of Hebrew, the language of the Israelites. So you can see that this document by Zimmerman, which is an attempt to deny the name of Yahweh, he makes up all these arguments in order to argue against the name of Yahweh, are nothing but bovine excrement. That's all they are. 
There's not a word of truth in any of this from Zimmerman and the rabbis and the secularists. They all deal in lies. Let me just quote one more time here from the book by David Allen Deal in his book, Discovery of Ancient America, because, and the reason why this is important, is because you find Paleo-Hebrew in America dating back to practically 2000 B.C. in stick figure script, because when you inscribe hard rock with a stylus or a chisel or whatever, it's much easier to inscribe straight lines to make uh, than make curved lines, all right? So in his book, Discovery of Ancient America, on page 11, he has this to say about Dr. Robert Pfeiffer's translation of the Paleo-Hebrew inscriptions on the Ten Commandments stone near Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I have friends who visited this site in New Mexico. And this is real, folks. Paleo-Hebrew. In fact, this stone has been known about for several hundred years, and nobody could figure out what language it was. Because nobody knew about Paleo-Hebrew until about a hundred years ago. So nobody, it can't be a forgery because it existed before a forgery was even possible. Quote, Though most of Dr. Pfeiffer's translation is correct, his definition of the language as Phoenician, implying that the authors of the inscription were Phoenicians, is certainly a misconception. Unfortunately, Dr. Pfeiffer is not alive to answer any of the obvious questions which arise. Now here is a very important question, ladies and gentlemen, Israelites. Why would the Phoenician people have any inclination to write the Ten Commandments? Since they neither believed in Yahweh or in Yahweh's law, why would the Phoenicians inscribe the Ten Commandments on a stone in New Mexico? (laughs) How did this happen, right? Could not have been Phoenician pagans. But if it was Israelite pagans who remembered their Israelite heritage, then they would have done so. They probably would have figured, well, gee, Yahweh drove us into the wilderness here because we violated his law. Maybe we should commemorate his law. Maybe Yahweh will forgive us for becoming pagans and abandoning his law. So let's inscribe this stone with the Ten Commandments and with the name of Yahweh, and maybe he will forgive us. That is the most likely reason for the Ten Commandments stone inscription. So he says, Would this not more logically be an act of an Israelite, especially a Judahite, who of the various tribes of Israel tenaciously continued in the laws of Moses long after the other tribes had abandoned the faith? See, this guy actually knows biblical history, which you can't say about the Judeos or the Jews. Indeed, the very thought, meaning, and essence of inscription rock points to a worshiper of Yahweh. What a logical conclusion. Okay, so folks, we'll pick this up. I think we have about two more episodes on this subject, and we're going to be talking about Zimmerman's attempt to change the yod heh vav in the sacred name Yahweh and try the, the corkscrew logic he uses to change it from Yahweh to Jesus. Folks, it doesn't get more, how should I put this, uh, 
corkscrew <laughs> pretzel logic than what he does in this article to try to convince people that Yahweh should be pronounced Jesus. And there's a multitude of reasons why this is absolutely impossible. And if you know linguistic history, you'll know why it's impossible. But most people, not just, well, certainly Jews, the average Jew doesn't know anything about the Bible. Unfortunately, the average Judeo, the Judeo-Churchians, don't know much about biblical history either. Neither do their pulpiteers. They could care less about biblical history. All they want to teach is modern dogma. Okay? All right, folks, that's today's show. Thanks for listening. Here's the music. See you all next time. Bye-bye. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.